Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our gospel lesson from the Gospel of Luke, um, chapter 13, as noted for us there. And as we begin today, we should probably begin back at the last chapter of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah chapter 66, that was the first reading in our service today. And when you look at that, Isaiah chapter 66, like, here you go, Isaiah, the last words that you're going to leave with God's people as you close out the book and close the book on 40 years of prophetic ministry. And what does he have to say? He spends um, a good, at least five verses, talking about God's grace and God's goodness that above and beyond all human expectation, that God would bring people from across the world, from across the world to worship the one true God. And he goes beyond, beyond description to pile up these descriptions in a way that, that you and I, we hear it and we see it and we say, okay, he's, he's saying a lot here, that people are going to be coming from across the world from these places that we really don't hear about much else. Tarshish, Paul, and Lud, uh, Tubal, and Javan, the distant coastlands, and those who have not seen, heard my message, they will see my glory. And they're going to be coming with, um, with horses and chariots and wagons and mules and, and camels. And the imagery is of all these nations across the world streaming to worship the one true God. And you saw right there um, also the image of Judgment Day. The time is coming for me to gather people from all nations and languages. They will come and they will see my glory. Judgment Day also, that Christ will reveal his glory in all of his holiness. And then Isaiah concludes his book. And he says, basically, um, this group of believers is going to be worshiping endlessly. And then they'll go out and they'll see those being consumed by fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Whoa. And the reality that we see pictured for us is that even as alluded to in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, that your joy in heaven will not be diminished in any way whatsoever if you see the suffering of those who rejected Christ. They will go out and they will see the corpses of the ones who were rebelling against me, for their worm will not die and the fire will not be quenched and all flesh will be horrified by them. And up until that last verse, it's almost like Isaiah just has us rolling along. Yes, this is going to be great. This is going to be fantastic. A lot to look forward to. And then he drops this one. Oh, by the way, oh, by the way, you will be able to, as you're going about your, your daily worship life for the rest of eternity, you will also see those who live in undying death and in the agony that does not end. And that kind of gets us into exactly what Jesus is going to be talking about today. And one of the more difficult topics, difficult um, things that he has to present to us. That if we are to understand Christ correctly, and that if we are to understand and apply his words properly, then there's really five elements, five questions that we need to at least consider. 
And the first one is this. Do I believe that hell is incomprehensibly horrible? I would say so. Isaiah has a couple of different pictures of hell. One, the picture um, early in the book, the picture of being cold and tossing and turning and never having enough blanket, and the picture here at the end of um, Isaiah of this undying death where the worm does not die. It's like that, that back pain that just won't subside forever. Do I believe that hell is incomprehensibly horrible? Follow that up. Do I believe that I deserve to go to hell? Yeah. I believe that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and that I deserve both your temporal, your earthly, and your eternal punishment. But we keep going, because there's more that Scripture has to say. Do I believe heaven is un? fathomably wonderful. And part of us says, well, of course I do, and, and Pastor Hagen, that's all I've got to hold on to because I've lost everything and everyone that I care about in this life, and all the people, all the people, if I only just buried them and I didn't believe that, consequently, heaven itself, the heaven that they are experiencing now, if I did not believe that they are in this wonderful place beyond my comprehension, then how would I have the strength to go on? That of course, of course we believe that, that heaven is wonderful beyond our wildest expectation and our wildest dream. But that has to follow up. Because if we are those who have deserved hell, the reality, do I believe that Jesus has paid an immeasurable price to keep me out of hell and get me into heaven? that your standing in grace and your place in heaven doesn't depend on the fact that you kick the habit and it doesn't depend on the fact that you organize your life properly. It depends only and solely and always on the fact that this Jesus gave his life for you to give you a place and to rescue you from that place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched for the place the place that is described as eternal joy and the worship of our triune God that goes on forever. And then finally, do I believe that God knows absolutely everything about me and yet loves me personally and unconditionally? The only way that those two truths can be, can be met that this is the one true God who knows absolutely everything about you, inside, outside, upside, downside, absolutely everything done and left undone, and yet he has demonstrated his love for you by giving his son for you. That there's these two options, the two realities of the afterlife, and there's no in-between, and there's no floating anywhere else. The option of hell that nearly defies description and heaven that goes beyond expectation. And the reality that, that each of us individually and personally, not just as a victim of circumstance, but a victim of our own sin by our own action, 
We have deserved the former, and yet Christ has won for us the latter. And that this isn't because of an oversight in God's divine accounting, but that he rather, he rather knew everything about you from before you were born and chose you and had you in mind and brought you to faith in the one way that he has given for bringing people into heaven. That is, that is essential to understanding what Jesus has to talk about for us today. That is essential to the background of our gospel lesson. That it's very easy to get swept along and deluded by the lies. It's very simple to um, maybe fall into the delusion last week when we talked about Neville Chamberlain and World War II. <laughs> to settle for peace today in my time. Because I don't have to worry about the distress of tomorrow. But on top of that, that Jesus goes on to say, Strive to enter through the narrow door because many will try and not be able to. And then God shuts the door. And they will come knocking and pounding at the door. Lord, you walked in our streets. We sat and ate and drank with you. And his reply, I never knew you. And that's a terrifying thought. Lord, you sat in our streets. You talked in our streets. You taught in our streets. We ate with you. We drank with you. And his response of, I never knew you. The terrifying response, that if we were to translate that into the, the language of, of our own Lutheran history... Lord, I, I learned the catechism truths. I memorized that. I sat through confirmation class. I went to a Lutheran grade school. I never knew you. And the number there is 38%. The Missouri Synod did a study on this a few years ago. And a, a study on the difference between um, those who had gone to a public school and those who had attended a Lutheran grade school and the retention of those children from a public school setting versus a Lutheran grade school setting. The number is 38%. That number is the Lutheran grade school setting. The number for the public school setting is 32%. Almost within the margin of error so that the two would be indistinguishable. I don't want to be a pastor who just lets Jesus talk in our streets and talk in our sanctuary to people who are on our membership rolls and yet haven't been in church. I don't want us to comfort ourselves with the thought that I put in the time and we supported the school. And we tried everything. Because there's five questions. Do I believe hell is worse than I have ever experienced? That I deserve to go there? Do I believe that heaven is greater than I have ever expected? And Jesus has paid the price to give that to me. 
and that he brings and keeps me into this one true faith only through the continued hearing of his word, the continued participation at his table. Because it might be the, the delusion of Neville, Neville Chamberlain and say, well, I don't want to talk about it with, I don't want to rock the boat with my loved one and settle for peace in our day. But Jesus is even more pointed when he says, and they're knocking at the door, we ate and drank in your presence, you taught in our streets, I don't know where you come from. And he says that twice. Depart from me, you evildoers. Because it's very easy, and almost the default, because, because the reality of hell is so beyond what we could handle, and so beyond what we could contemplate. It's very easy to say, all I want to do is have my comfort today, and all I need to do is think about, think about my loved one another day. But the reality is that we still have time. And that this Jesus, who is serious about preaching in the streets and calling people to repentance, he is still just as serious today. That this Jesus is just as serious and just as loving and just as earnest that believers would, would return to him today. And that this Jesus hasn't yet appeared in all of his glory in a way that all people will stand before him. Right now, he still hides his glory. He hides his glory under words and under the taste. He hides his glory so that you and I can say, here, friend, here is the one, here is the place where you can find this Jesus, where Jesus can be approached and where he approaches you to reassure you with the reality that, yeah, we know that there's only two places. But the reality is that he's paid the price entirely to win heaven for you. And the way that he describes it is there are some who are last who will be first, some who are first will be last. In other words, the way he describes it is that God doesn't operate according to our expectations and to the way that we think things ought to be. That if somebody had been working hard their entire life, then they deserve more. No, the point that he says... There are some who are first will be last and last will be first. The point that he's driving at is that it's all by God's grace. And it's all by his work. Through and through. That for the person who was baptized as a baby and lived to over 100 years old, that person re rejoices and joins in the exact same joy of heaven and revels in the same joy of forgiveness as the person who came to faith on their deathbed. And that they receive the same blessing because the blessing doesn't depend on you or me. It depends on the Savior who has done it all and given it all. And so the question before us, how can we bring this Jesus to another? How can we bring this Jesus, especially to those that, that we care about or that we have worshipped with here? How can we bring this Jesus and work together as a congregation to catechize our children or re-catechize ourselves? 
Because that's, I mean, that was part of the baptismal vow. You know, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the whole congregation stands, and, um, and pastor asks, do you intend to assist in the Christian training of this child until death? If so, answer, I do. And the whole congregation answers, I do. That, that, that devotion and understanding of what Jesus has said and done means that it's incumbent upon us to even speak up when those we love are living in the delusion as if there were some middle ground or living in the delusion of denying anything that we confess there in the Apostles' Creed. And you don't have to, when somebody has a false belief, you don't need to win the argument and smash it down. You need to open the door and talk. To open the door and say, here's what I believe, and this is why. That my belief isn't what I believe just because I believe it and that's what I was always taught, but that my belief is founded on the clear and certain words of God. And the only other option, the only other option is your own deluded human thinking or your own misguided human heart. And if that sounds like a difficult task, well, that's what our Thursday evening class is going to be for. Because when we talk about our congregation needing to catechize our children, um, I talked about this a little bit with a couple of our parents who are in confirmation, who are going through catechism class this year, that the number one person who has the greatest influence on a child's life is the parent. And the number one opportunity the parent has is to be able to let that child express doubt. To say, oh, I'm wondering about this. To let that child speak up. And for the parent to be equipped to have that conversation and talk with them. Say, well, tell me more. And then go back to the certain word of God that says, here's what our Lord says. And here's why we believe what we do. You see, because when Jesus is going along preaching, he goes along preaching because, because it's a personal thing, a personal discussion between people, where he shares what God's word says, and the disciples have the opportunity to talk with this group of people as well, where he says something that might be a little controversial or um, that doesn't sound like he's answering the question, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? The answer could be yes or no, but he says, you know, there's more to it than that. And the question is far more complex than that. That when Jesus went preaching, he wanted to make sure that, that they had the opportunity to understand and discuss these teachings and apply these teachings to their lives. And to find, yes, the comfort in those teachings, as well as the terrifying truth of those teachings, and to hold on to both instead of mixing them and getting some muddled mess in between. That muddled mess that you and I are probably familiar with, well, as long as you do a good enough job, as long as I do my best, then God will sort it out in the end. No. Separate the two. Do I believe that hell is worse than I could ever imagine? And that I deserve to go there? But at the same time, 
with no dilution of that truth do I believe that heaven is far more beautiful than I could ever imagine and that Jesus Christ himself has paid the price so that heaven is mine completely free of charge with no credit due. And do I believe that God knows me absolutely through and through and yet has proven his love to me unconditionally in the death and resurrection of his son. Because that truth isn't, isn't simply um, what some would accuse as Christian narrow-mindedness. Because I think that's the last part. Because sometimes that comes up. Well, you're the ones who say there's a heaven and there's a hell, but that's not the way it makes sense to my mind. Well, yeah, we are the ones who say there's a heaven and a hell and no in-between, because that's what God has said in his word. That we don't fall for the lies and the delusions of those around us. And we don't have to try to make hell and heaven um, palatable. We proclaim it. So that we can proclaim the reality of this Jesus for you and for me who has won heaven for you and paid the price that this God who, yes, knows everything about you, he's also done everything for you. And if there were ever any doubt in your mind, well, that's why we have the Lord's Supper. Come to the table and taste and see. Here is your Jesus giving you his, his body broken for you and his blood shed for you again. Here is the place where, where God's word is shared publicly and where sin is treated as sin actually is, not in degrees of severity, but in the absolute truth about humanity. And most of all, where Christians find the only comfort that can comfort our hearts, that even though there is a place that is worse than I could ever imagine, and even though I deserve it, at the same time, we have a God who has loved you more than you could even um, imagine possible. And he has paid the price to give you heaven.